When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. So there is good reason why people have a lack of trust really in the medical field overall um, and definitely have a distrust of being in clinical trials. But I believe it is very, very important that we have representation in clinical trials. Just me as a person or you as a person, if you get a prescription for a medication, don't you want to know that it's been proven to work in somebody like you? So if you're getting antibiotics, if you're getting things for your blood pressure, if you're getting things for being treated for cancer, Mm. you want to know that that population represented you. And there actually have been, um, you know, documented cases of where there wasn't good representation in the clinical trial. It was approved. And then it was after it got onto the market, we realized that it didn't work as well in some subsets of people, African-American mm. people, African-American, for African-American, 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 African-American. Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If Black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all-Black everything. Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black. Welcome back once again, my people. Welcome back. So today's episode, different episode, and I'm excited. I say it's different a lot, but today truly is. This is a place where... I don't think most people would expect us to go because until this particular guest and their team reached out, I never thought about going here. But before we dive into the episode, it's time to to go to school just a little bit. Now, these are not my words. This is not coming from my heart nor my head. I'm going to read to you all just a little bit or a lot of bit from an article that I found about (laughs) clinical research and its history with black folks in this country. Some of this you probably know, but some of it you don't. So, rile me for a few minutes. Clinical trials haven't always been as regulated as they are now. Whilst the industry still has some lengths to go to improve diversity and inclusion in clinical trials today, they're a lot better than they used to be. Many of the clinical trials would, have not, would not have been allowed to take place today. There are now numerous regulations in place to make sure clinical trials uphold ethical practices, don't contain needlessly painful procedures, and most importantly, don't discriminate against ethnicity. I don't know how well we're doing there, but we'll talk about that today. But while clinical research has come leaps and bounds from where it used to be, that doesn't mean the effects of the history of clinical trials has been erased. The Black community in particular still has large amounts of medical mistrust to this day. And we've got reason. The following article talks through five names of people you should be aware of in clinical history. I'm not going to go through all five. I'm going to talk about a few. 
And I'll give you the link to this article should you be interested in digging in more. The first names, forgive me if I say these wrong, Lucy and Anarka, or Nacha. I'm not quite sure how to say it. But they were two female African-American slaves, is what the article says. You know, I don't like to use the word slaves because we are not the act that was done to us. We were enslaved. So I'm going to change that to African-American enslaved individuals from the 1840s and 1850s. They were two of the enslaved women who were subject to experimental surgeries conducted by Dr. James Marion Sims, who was attempting to perfect his technique in removing, again, I'm not going to get this right, vesicovaginal fistulas. I tore that word up, but you understand where I'm going. It's the tract that extends between a woman's bladder and vagina, causing urine to be released into the vagina. These women in the experiments were never allowed to give informed consent. Lucy underwent the first ever surgery without anesthesia, which caused her to contract blood poisoning so extremes that Sims noticed in his medical diary, quote, I thought she was going to die. It took Lucy two or three months to recover entirely from the effects of this operation, end quote. Arnaka, I know I said that wrong, but work with me, was documented in Sims' medical diary too, as she underwent the same surgery 30 times, 30 times, still with no anesthesia. At the time, some doctors didn't trust anesthesia and decided not to use it. However, Sims' decision to not use anesthesia was not based on lack of trust, but on the misguided and racist belief that black people did not experience pain in the same way that white people did. This became obvious after his experience. After his experiments, Sims went on to treat white women with anesthesia. To this day, Sims has been nicknamed the father, the father of modern gynecology. That's an interesting fact. And I'm going to go just a bit further with some more up-to-date information. The notion that black people don't experience pain in the same way as white people still persists today. For example, I've talked about this before. I'm going to read it again here now. One study showed, this is a recent study, that up to half, 50%, one half of all white medical students and residents today believe in differences in pain tolerances between white and black people. That's current, my family. That's today. That is medical students and residents who are going to be treating you tomorrow. And if it's true in them, it's true in the doctors treating us today. The second story, I know this is longer, ride with me. The grave robbing of black slaves for clinical research. Again, black enslaved people. As medical research began to expand into the 18th century, cadavers were in high demand. Due to dissection being a punishment for criminals at the time, few people donated their bodies to research because of the associated negative connotation. For this reason, many students and supplies of cadavers turned to grave robbing. As grave robbing became real life, only the rich were able to protect their graves. This in combination with the segregated burial sites, meant that black bodies were often heavily targeted by grave robbers. History has been slow to acknowledge the extent to which bodies of African Americans were used in, the me in medicine without consent. More recently, in the summer of 1989, that's not that long ago, construction workers unearthed over 10,000 bones 
from a basement belonging to the Medical College of Georgia. Forensics quickly identified that these bones were there as a result of research conducted on cadavers that were taken from their graves, with many of the bones showing signs of dissection. That's pretty recent. Now, I'm going to stop talking about this. I'm going to step away from this article. But for those who are interested, the article is called Names Erased from History, A Dive into Black History of Clinical Research. Now, you don't have to type that in. You know us. I'm going to embed this article link in the show notes. Now, I've talked to you a lot, but you've heard about the Tuskegee experiment. You've now heard about these stories. We've heard about Henrietta Lacks and all these different things that lead into where we are from a clinical research and clinical trials standpoint today. Now, we are diving into that topic with some ferocity today. And we've got an amazing guest in Elisa Martin, who is going to talk us through, teach us through, make us better, get us informed, and give us the real know-how, the real understanding of what is happening, and just as importantly, not happening from a clinical research standpoint. With that, Elisa, welcome to Wild Black. Thank you so much. I am very honored and happy to be here today. Um, so I appreciate it. Listen, I know that was a lot to go through, especially kicking it off. We don't normally go through that much, but I thought it was important to expose our listeners to a little bit of a, a different bit of information than normal. So jump in. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and why you're here, why this passion matters so much to you. Break us down. So um, I am an owner of a firm that recruits patients for clinical trials. Um, I came about this because it is a passion for me. I have a, um, I'm, I'm a pharmacist by training. Um, grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, went to the University of Arkansas, College of Pharmacy, went and got my doctor of pharmacy from the University of Oklahoma, and then spent quite a number of years uh, working for a pharmaceutical company. So as part of my work there, um, you know, looking at data and all that kind of stuff, you know, you realize that when you're looking at these data on these clinical trials, that there isn't a, you know, a very good balance of participants in the clinical trials. So even in some disease states where African-Americans have a higher prevalence of the disease state or disproportionate. Who needs an alarm in the morning? When McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles. And a breakfast cutoff. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, prevalence of that disease state. It wasn't reflected in the people who are participating mm. in the trials. Yeah. And so, I mean, you really took us back there with a good history lesson. I tried. Um, I did it's, what it's I could do. Good reason. You you did a good job. <laughs> you taught me something. <laughs> but um, you know, there is good reason. Everybody hears about the Tuskegee Institute or the Tuskegee study, but you took it back even further. It didn't start just there. I mean, right. we know it didn't start just there. So there is good reason why people have a lack of trust really in the medical field overall. Yeah. Um, and definitely have a distrust of being in clinical trials. Yeah. But I believe it is very, very important that we have representation in clinical trials. Just me as a person or you as a person, if you get a prescription for a medication, 
Don't you want to know that it's been proven to work in somebody like you? So if you're getting antibiotics, if you're getting things for your blood pressure, if you're getting things for being treated for cancer, Mm. you want to know that that population represented you. And there actually have been, um, you know, documented cases of where there wasn't good representation in the clinical trial. It was approved. And then it was after it got onto the market, we realized that it didn't work as well in some subsets of people, Mm. African-American people, for instance. Mm. Um, So really the goal would be whatever, I'll say the distribution of diseases in a population. So say you have hypertension and, you know, 30% of the people in America, I'm, I'm just making this up. But 30% of the people in America that and hypertension is high blood pressure. Um, so say 30% of the people in America have high blood pressure. Then you, uh, 30, or I'm sorry, are, are African-American that have high blood pressure. Then ideally in the clinical trial, you would want 30% of the participants to be African-American in that trial because that would reflect the population that's going to be treated with the drug once it's approved. But you normally don't have that. It's getting better. It really is getting better. But just as we talk about it's important to have representation across all things, you know, whether that's in education or politics or whatever the the area is, we need representation, adequate representation in clinical trials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're taking the drugs. We get lots of prescriptions prescribed to us but it ought to be tested in people like us as well. So part of that issue, though, is getting people over that mistrust factor. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, we've got a bunch of reasons to not trust. And I I want us to get into all of that. I actually want to go back to your your 30% example shortly as well. But before we do that, we got to get through this wild black shit. All right, brother, take it away. All right, I'm here all for right, it. All right, you ready? So let me let me tell you how it how it works out or how it plays out. Three questions. Two questions get you warmed up. Third question is our signature question. You ready? Okay. All right, let's go. I think I am. I'm sure you Don't are. Don't throw I, me for I, a loop here I, now. I think we're going to see. We gonna oh, you see. got these. It ain't going to be easy. Okay. It ain't going to be easy. I'm, I'm, I got a curveball <laughs> in here. On this second question. Uh-oh. All right, so the first question. Okay. Since we're talking about clinical trials, um, let's stay in that same lane for this first question. Now, we've been excluded from many clinical st- trials, as we know. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that we haven't had our own clinical trials in, in, in our community. Our parents, grandparents, you know, family members conducted their own little studies uh, and came up with their own <laughs> treatments for common ailments that we all kind of know a little bit about. What are the stereotypical black treatments that you can think of for these common ailments? Let me give you three. Congestion. Vicks. You know it. Boom. <laughs> Vapor rub. Slathered mm-hmm. down from it. It used to be on <laughs> yes. underneath my nose. It was on my chest. Mm-hmm. It was on my feet. Wrapped with saran wrap. Country, with socks it's, it's, put on on yes. top of that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Gotta if you're from, you from the real country, they put it on the bottom of your feet, which is so crazy. <laughs> like, what, what is it going to do at the bottom of your feet? <laughs> How, how does that work? Make me slip and bust my head right. up, so now I need stitches. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. All right, sore muscles. 
Hmm. Sore muscles. That's mm-hmm. going to be Ben Gay, a sore bean junior. Ooh. Those are the, the main two I can think of. No, you got okay. it. Smelling like were Ben you, Gay. What were you thinking? The only thing yeah, other ben than Gay I thought was about was, uh, was Epsom salt. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For your feet, your body, yep. everything. Epsom salt do everything. Though. Everything. I've been in the many an Epsom salt bath. Yes. And I've never felt better. <laughs> Did they work? No. <laughs> Not well, see, part, part of this is like, you know, there's a... Now, y'all heard of the placebo effect, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you think it's working, death. it's working. <laughs> <laughs> right. I got negative If you think it's working, feet. it's working. Hey, that's important, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you think it's helping, it just might be. Third one. A common cold. Well... If it's got a cough in it, it's going to be some bourbon we go. and honey and lemon. That hot toddy mm-hmm. shit. Yes. <laughs> the hot toddy. I, I, she, I used to look forward to having a cough. Yes. <laughs> yes. She said, we're going to skip the name. It's I just going to be the ingredients. I look forward to it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I saw my mother making it, so mm-hmm. I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. I got a cough, mama. They were getting us drunk. So we <laughs> All right, you the killed that question. <laughs> hey, it worked. It did. You're tipsy, so you. But you know, honey, you honey really does have some. Honey has some properties for reducing cough. You know, anything that sedates you can calm down. You know, if it calms your body as a whole, it's going to calm the cough center too. So, True story. I mean, there's some real stuff behind some of that homemade stuff too. True story. So, True story. I don't, I don't throw out everything just because it was homemade or you know, came from uh, a root doctor or whatever. Some of that has some real uh, science behind it. Yeah. Let, let us find out that, that African-Americans started clinical trials. <laughs> <laughs> True. All right. You go. don't take baths if it's a lightning storm? No, indeed. Not or, at my or you can't and, get on the phone and, either. And, and, nope. Not at all. Not at all. That's dangerous. Prove it. <laughs> I don't know if it's proven, but I believe it. I practice it. We also get up in a, in a bad rainstorm with thunder and lightning and a threat of tornadoes. We get up, put all our clothes on so we are not the butt-naked family in the tree because you know the butt-naked black family in the tree is going to be on the news. <laughs> not today. You ain't going to get me. Not me. <laughs> Every channel. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's get into the second yes. question. Let's get into the second question. All right, now this game is called This or oh, That. Oh, I thought that was three questions uh-uh. right there. No, okay, no, 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 that was one. You did so well on it, as you know, we just okay. extended it. This or that is, is the next section. Now, right off the top of your head, you have to pick one of the two, okay? Okay. All right. Blues or jazz? Ooh, I like the flip. Blues. Blues. Mm, okay. Down home blues. Okay, country. I like that. Blues. I like that country blues. Arkansas yeah. blues. Mm-hmm. Hole in the wall. Oklahoma yes. blues. Delta. Yes. Okay, okay. Delta. Mm. Cast iron or Teflon? Oh, cast iron. We still mm-hmm. use it all the time. Mm-hmm. It, it soaks in Prime the flavor. fish, shrimp. Chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Definitely cast iron. Beyonce or Aretha? Oh, come on now. 
I'm tapping out. I'm tapping out on that one. Ooh, that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. I- I'm going to have to go with Aretha. I'm like going to have to go with Aretha. Be- Beyonce hasn't hasn't earned that. She she's she hasn't earned that Aretha status yet. At least in my mind. And you know, maybe I'm not going to age myself too much, but maybe I'm kind of in that in between. You know, Beyonce Aretha era. But yeah, Aretha. It, it. it would be hard for somebody to top her. I, would I don't know when that person's going to come along. Oh, I know that's right. Yes. I would agree. All right. Malcolm or Martin? <laughs> I'm going to go with Martin. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go with Martin. And, you know, um, you, you all know, and, and most people know that by the end, they actually came together. Yes. In their thoughts and philosophy a little bit more. And, and you know, even though people still try to pit them against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But I'm still going to go with Martin. I think from the outset and all along, I kind of liked his approach. So I'm going to go with Martin. Got you. All right. Absolutely. And he's my fraternity brother, so. <laughs> Not, me too. Yes. Yes. All right. <laughs> last question. Last, last this or that. You know a little bit about Oklahoma and a lot about Texas together. Quick Trip or Bucky's? Oh. <laughs> oh, Bucky's. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not even a thought. What are you asking about? Bucky's. Quick, quick Trip has never yes. had a, got a, a wall and of everything. Right, right. Or fu- a whole Four fudge Or Bucky's station. Nuggets or... Brisket yes. sandwiches and turtles and... Oh, my God. Yes, Bucky's is amazing. All right. You killed that one, too. And so. a whole little shopping area on the other end. Right. It's, it's, it's like the Costco of gas stations. Like, you walk in and you spend $300 and don't know what happened. Like, how did you do this? Yes. And honestly, the bathrooms really are clean all the time. Mm-hmm. I've never had a problem with that. Yes. Agree. So, Bucky's all, right. all the way. Third question. This is a signature question. What do you love most about life while black? Hmm. I just, I I love being black and everything about it. Um, but the thing that I think I love most is that when black people decide to show up for something, we own it. Whether you're looking at showing up in sports, showing up in politics, showing up in medicine, showing up wherever, arts, film. Mm -hmm. When we decide to show up, we own it. There's no stopping us. When we make up our mind about it, let us get our foot in the door, we're going to own it. Love it. That's real. That is what I love about it. So true. That's real. I I don't think there's nothing that we can't do. We can't, I mean, I I don't like being, you know, pigeonholed in any way. Give us a chance in every arena and we will excel. Mm-hmm. We're known for that. Yes, I love that flex. That's so true. So true. Listen, 
it's, it's time for the dope quote. And our listeners know the dope quote is something from science or religion or history, mathematics, arts, entertainment. Uh, it's typically from the mouth of someone black, but it always, always, always has relevance on the conversation for today. Today's is very simple. It's by Martin Luther King Jr. I'll read it, and I'd love to get your thoughts on it very, very quickly. Of all the forms of inequality, injustice in health is the most shocking and inhumane. When you hear that, what comes to mind specifically around the work that you do? What comes to mind with that is that there's still parts of that that are still true today. The uh, inequalities in healthcare, I mean, all of us are familiar with the things that were highlight, highlighted around the COVID uh, pandemic um, that really just, really just put a light on something that was there um, that people, you know, weren't really looking at, but it just made it really more evident. Mm. Um, but it's been there all the while. Mm. Um, so injustices in healthcare, we still have that today. There are disparities around all sorts of disease states um, with regard to when Black people get it, it's worse. The lifespan is shorter. Um, the economic impacts of that even uh, with regard to, there are just so many angles I can take, but the economic impact, thinking of cancer, for instance, um, when a person is diagnosed with cancer, there's a very high likelihood within five years, I think about 30% of people are facing a bankruptcy. Mm. Well, for Black people who get cancer, chronic, and, and have to deal with that over a period of time, almost 50% are facing a bankruptcy Damn. five years after their diagnosis. Mm. So there are just so many disparities that still exist. I am hopeful, though, and do believe that things are improving, but there are too, too many inequalities in healthcare that still exist today. Um, kind of bringing that home to clinical trials, um, you know, just thinking about the participation um, of African-American people in clinical trials, I do see improvement in that um, with regard to the percentage of Blacks that are participating in clinical trials. So for instance, um, the latest the, the latest numbers show probably about 7% of clinical trial participants right now are Black. That's improved from 5% mm. about five or six years ago. So there's improvement, but we know Black people in America is somewhere around, you know, 13, 14%. So that still isn't representative of us as a people. And then there's some disease states, if you're talking about chronic kidney disease or something like that, um, where, you know, maybe 30 or 40% of the people who have it are black. You know, you need to be having 30 or 40% of the people in those trials that are black. Yeah. So just to, just to make sure that our listeners understand that point and hear it very clearly. Right now, 7% sure. of participants in clinical trials are black. That's versus 13 to 14% of the population who is black. But the real measure is the penetration of the disease state in the black community. So the measure should not be the 13 to 14%. It should be parity 
with the percentage of black Americans who deal with that particular disease state. So if it's heart disease or if it's cancer or if it's diabetes, something where we significantly over-index as we walk every day, we should also over-index in that clinical trial penetration, correct? Exactly. Yeah. That is exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. So if it's a disease state like cystic fibrosis or something where more white people than black people have it, of course, you're going to see more or you should see more white people in that trial. Or any disease state that, you know, is is overrepresented by white people or Asian people, et cetera. Um, but you should have a proportionate number of people participating as the number of people who have that disease for it to be I'm not going to say, I'm going to say equitable yeah. for it to be equitable. Yeah, got it. Let's, let's kind of start at the top, right? I know in my head what I imagine when we say clinical trial. Art, I know you mm -hmm. have a perspective of what that means. But Edelisa, coming from you who, are, who has high credibility in this space, what the hell is a clinical trial actually? <laughs> So a clinical trial is a study of, a, it's an investigational either new drug or an investigational new procedure. Now there are actually clinical trials that are researching apps, devices, all sorts of things. So the key word is investigational. It's a, it's a, a trial of something that hasn't been um, uh, hasn't been approved by the FDA yet. Um, so maybe somebody discovered some new molecule that seemed like in the lab, it might have some kind of promise. So you have to um, actually go through many phases. So that's another thing that I kind of want to talk about is the different phases of clinical trials. Um, there are actually four different phases of clinical trials. So the first phase is really making sure that it's going to be safe to be taken in people. Um, well, I guess I'll back up again. Uh, there's preclinical. So even before it gets into people, there's going to be testing that's done. If it seems like it's okay in animal studies, then we'll move on to people. And we're only going to test a, you know, a small number of healthy people at first just to see if it's tolerated. And then as the phases go on, we're going to get into the people with the actual disease. So you're testing this new drug, this new device, this new, sometimes, like I said, even an app um, that hasn't been proven to work yet. And so we're answering that question. Is it going to work? Mm. And so we will have a trial that will have a group of people who will take that new investigational <laughs> product and it'll be compared to something else. So uh, in some disease states like cancer, I kind of want to dispel the myth that, you know, you're going to get a sugar pill. If mm. What you're going to get is the standard of care. So if you have a disease where there is a standard drug, when something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. 
Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Regimen, procedure, or whatever to treat it, that's going to be the comparator. So it would not be ethical in a cancer trial to give somebody a placebo or sugar pill. Mm. So you may be in a group that takes the new drug, the new investigational drug, along with whatever the standard of care is, and that might be compared to the other group that's just going to get the standard of care. Mm. So um, I don't know if that's, I guess, I guess ask me questions if I'm not making sense no, about that. No, that. that makes perfect um, sense. But what it is, is just really trying out that, that new investigational product. The question that, that I have coming out of that is, is you said apps. And what I'm wondering is, is, is who the hell and what the hell causes someone to get a clinical trial? Did, did Angry Birds <laughs> get a clinical trial? Did Pokemon <laughs> get a, a clinical trial? Like, how do we get there? Instagram, Yeah, Snapchat. so it's really interesting. Right. They well, need clinical trials. Well, not that kind of app. <laughs> yes. So there actually are clinical trials going on uh, of different apps that may uh, decrease anxiety that may address depression. So some of the mental health issues. Um, we had somebody that approached us with like a kind of virtual reality type of trial where um, you put on a headset, like you're in a VR game and maybe you see peaceful scenes for, you know, 15 minutes at a time compared to the group that doesn't get that. Um, so all sorts of things are being tried. So virtual reality, there's lots and lots of study with devices like Apple Watches and, um, help me, what's the competitor to the Apple Watch, the Fitbit? The Samsung yeah. and all that stuff like um, that. Looking at, mm-hmm, yes. So I think Apple is kind of leading, mm -hmm. but there are different things that, you know, well, maybe they can pick up uh, changes in... Uh, you know, the, well, some people are not down for it, but these watches maybe can detect like when you're walking, when you're standing, how yep. long you're sleeping, uh, those kind of things. And really making the association with, you know, well, maybe there's some type of intervention where if you get up and walk five minutes every hour, that maybe that has a better outcome than somebody that sits for three hours straight. Um, but really using the data that is collected by that Apple Watch and putting people into different groups. Mm. Um, you know, we had one study where they're actually trying <laughs> to see if there's anything that they can pick up that um, helps determine how people age naturally versus getting dementia. So, um, yeah, so these are trials that don't even require you to take anything internally, but it may help determine like some type of index or scale that can be developed that may predict who's going to get Alzheimer's disease. Gotcha. So wow. kind of taken off from that, Black people get Alzheimer's disease in a greater proportion than white people do or other ethnic groups. So kind of backing up to that, if we have a trial or a device that's going to come up with a measure to predict Alzheimer's disease, we need to be in those trials yes, so that yes. we can be represented because we may have a different rate of progression or factors in our 
socioeconomic background or something that makes it a different way that we, you know, develop dementia. So we need to be well represented. Yeah. We've kind of talked about this already, but I want to ask the, the pointed question about it. From your perspective, why in the hell should Black people give a damn about clinical trials? What, what's in it for us? Well, I, I really think there are a couple of things. I mean, really, first and foremost to me is the representation. Um, you know, it, it becomes more and more important if you have a sick family member. But definitely as we age, we begin to realize that these drugs that we're taking um, are probably going to be a part of our lives, maybe even for the rest of your life. If you get to a certain point, if you have high blood pressure, if you have diabetes, or if you even have, you know, reflux disease or whatever, um, they're probably going to be a part of your life, at least for several years, if not the rest of your life. And if I'm taking a drug for a long period of time, I want to know that it's been tested in somebody that represents me. I want to know that it's been tested in Black females of uh, whatever age I am. (laughs) 29. I want to know that it's been tested. Um, 29? Okay, well, thank you very, very much. Absolutely. Um, But I want to know that. Um, If it's only been tested in 55-year-old white men, which is kind of the prototypical participant in a clinical trial, I'm not so sure about that. Yeah. Working for me. Yeah. You know, this is going to sound like a bit of a silly question because I, I think we all understand, generally speaking, what the answer is. But how did we get here? Right? When, when I hear you say that the, the standard is probably a 55-year-old white man, I instantly go to every corporate job I've ever had. And they're always more (laughs) 55-year-old white men. And they always hire other 25 and 35-year-old white men that will become 55-year-old white men just like them. And I want to very quickly apply that same systematic behavior, thought process to this. But how did we get here? How do we get to the point that in disease states where black penetration or diagnosis is so significantly higher, how do we find ourselves with only 5 or 7% inclusion in the trials? How do we find ourselves needing someone to sit in a role like you and specifically go and get us? How the hell did we get here? Well, I really think it relates to really a couple of major factors. Mm-hmm. Um, the the top two things to me are where the clinical trials are conducted, number one. And then the second thing is who is conducting the clinical trials. Yeah. Um, those are really the top two factors. So if you look at where clinical trials are conducted, you will see they're mostly along the coast, east coast, west coast. Um, a fair concentration actually in Texas, uh, just because of the size of the state. But you really find them mostly on the coast, mostly around academic centers. Um, And so when you think of kind of those large academic centers, then who are the people that are in those? So think of the professors at the academic centers, the medical schools, et cetera. So those are the people who are conducting the trials. And who are the people that are around? Uh, Sometimes it's a lot of they're, they're more white people than black people. Um, and then if they're the 
um, the professors and the physicians, doctors at the academic medical centers or medical schools, et cetera, that are mostly white male, then the people who feel more comfortable participating are going to be white males. So it's a whole, um, I guess, other line that we could go down um, with regard just in healthcare in general, that when you have racial concordance, and so if a black patient is going to a black doctor Mm -hmm. or even a Hispanic Mexican person going to a Mexican doctor, you feel more comfortable in those interactions. Right, right, right. It's, It's sad, but it's proven that For instance, if a white male is talking to a white doctor, that interaction is going to be more collaborative. There's going to be more discussion than if a black male is seeing a white doctor, where it's more um, instructional, telling you what you're going to do or what you need to do. There are less questions asked. And but if a black male goes to a black doctor, That interaction is more meaningful. It's been proven that the black males will take preventive measure recommendations, for instance. So getting your flu shot or getting a prostate exam, et cetera, from a black doctor versus if a white doctor gives Mm, it. So part of the issue is that most of the people conducting the trials are black, I'm sorry, are white male doctors. And that's just who is in that arena. Yeah. Um, and so it tends to attract more like people. So I think one of the hurdles that we've got to get over, and there are things that are being done about that as well, is getting more, number one, getting more black people into medical school in general. Yep. And then getting more of those black people that are going to participate in clinical research. Yeah. When I and then the third thing off of that would be a way for, you know, that that's kind of a long-range plan. But we have black physicians now and physicians of all colors who mm-hmm. are interested in participating in clinical research, but they don't know how to get started. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Because usually... As I said, they're in academic medical <laughs> centers. So if you're not near one of those medical schools and you want to start participating in clinical trials, how do you get involved? Yeah. So yeah. a lot of people don't know how to do that. And there is not a good pathway if you're a community doctor um, to really get involved in that. So that's been a challenge um, and actually um, you know, a, a challenge that's been put out to, to rectify is to find more, as they say, on-ramp. Yeah. On ramps for people who want to participate and, and conduct clinical trials. Yeah. You could not have brought that up at a better moment. But that's kind of how we got there. The, the question I was getting ready to ask was exactly where you just went. It was I, I uncovered a bunch of hurdles that I saw for black folks in general, and we'll get to those. But as you were talking, I was thinking what about the doctors who are high in cultural competence? or who are diverse, meaning Black or Hispanic, how do those doctors get involved in these kind of clinical trials? Because their patient base, I'm going to assume, is going to have more diversity, more Black, more Hispanic. And for patients or, or, or people who may have a specific disease state, how, how do they get more involved? And, and going back to like personal history, I remember 
prior to my father passing and him being diagnosed with cancer, we had very quick and short talks about were there clinical trials that he could participate in. We ultimately did not go that route, but we also didn't know how to go that route. So for doctors and for patients or consumers, how do they get more involved? So there are a number of things that have come about recently that I am hopeful is going to make a difference. So I have seen um, several pharmaceutical companies that have started programs to reach out to community physicians um, that want to participate in clinical trials to try to give them training. Um, my, My company, we've developed a program to help onboard physicians in the community that want to be involved in clinical trials. Um, So there are some avenues that are coming about. Um, I do see most of those efforts geared toward people in medical school um, and kind of that longer range plan. Um, So I do think it's important that we do develop more mechanisms for people who are out in the community. Because you said a very uh, important point. Is that doctors of color tend to have more patients of color. Mm-hmm. And if we need these uh, patients to be involved in clinical trials, you've got to be um, getting the physicians involved that are treating those patients. You can't get around them. And you need to work through them because patients are going to trust them. If I talk to my doctor and she recommends that I think about you know, looking at this clinical trial, I'm going to think about it more if she told me yeah. versus if I heard it from somebody else. Yeah. So we've got to get these doctors involved. Yeah. Um, now, the way that you go about finding out about them, a lot of times people will go to their doctor. Um, there is a website, though, called clinicaltrials.gov that really is a database that has every clinical trial in the United States listed on clinicaltrials.gov. I'm headed to it now. Uh, My company, as I said, this is our specialty. We've actually developed an app called NeighborhoodTrials.com that is location-based. People can look on the app, put in the disease state they're interested in, and it automatically will tell you if there's something near you that you can get involved with. And that was NeighborhoodTrials.com? NeighborhoodTrials.com. And then we have an app in the App Store called Neighborhood Trials in the Google and the Apple App Store that's really geared toward patients being able to download this and find out where clinical trials are that they're interested in. Hmm. But if not that, they can always refer to clinicaltrials.gov. Yeah. It seems like the impact of the good old boy network is pretty firm Hmm. and intact and impacting our healthcare in many, 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 many spaces. All right, so while I was doing my research, I read, and you've already addressed all three of these, by the way, but uh, what I saw being the top hurdles for Black folks to overcome if we want to be in clinical trials and for providers or clinicians or whatever the research, whoever's running clinical trials, things they need to also overcome mm-hmm. were mistrust, flat out mistrust, lack of comfort, and then lack of information or access to information. So we've already established each of those, but what's being done to address each of those? And I just assume that in what you do, you're probably thinking about these all day already. Yes. So I think one of the main things that um, that we're doing, and we're, we're not alone in doing this, I've run across many organizations that are working with people in the community. 
So working with community organizations, the people that are already serving the people in their neighborhoods. If we can partner with those community organizations to get information to the people who are interested, then that's one way. Um, if it's you know working with these community organizations that are already serving people with housing information, uh, working through faith-based organizations, so definitely your churches. Um, so we're partnering with all of those types of organizations to get information out uh, about clinical trials, even just general information, not necessarily a specific trial, but people have questions. Um, you know, so we can participate in health fairs and things like that. We do uh, to answer people's questions about like you are asking right now, what is a clinical trial? Or I don't want to be a guinea pig. Well, then we can mm -hmm. talk about the different things that have been done, how the FDA, you know, is always monitoring the activity of clinical trials, how they have safety boards for every clinical trial that's constantly monitoring to make sure everything is going well. Uh, you have to give informed consent. So that's one of the things you talked about at the top of the show is that a lot of our people who were involved, well, who were subjected, I would say, mm -hmm. to trials in the beginning did not give their consent. So now you have to give your consent. And, if, and I would tell anybody, if you are thinking about a clinical trial and somebody doesn't go over every detail of that informed consent with you to go ahead and walk away. So you have to give your informed consent. You should have every question answered. And everybody should know if you start a trial and don't feel comfortable, you can stop at any time. Just because you start doesn't mean you're obligated to stay. You need to continue to feel comfortable. Um, so those are some things that people just really don't know about. Yeah. Um, you know, all the protections that have been in, put in place, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but yeah. You know, uh, I did a bunch of research. And as I was reading... I don't know why this kind of popped in my mind, but jury duty popped in my mind. And the fact that, I don't know if it's real or, or not, but at <laughs> least stereotypically, black folks evade jury duty because we don't want to take time off. Mm. We don't want to lose pay. We don't want to make that $12.78 a day that they pay for jury duty or whatnot. And we all know that there's a civic responsibility. There's a social responsibility for us participating. But in this case, when there is civic, there is social, there is medical, I think there's a significant future implication. There's also incentives in terms of financial impact. What does that look like for someone who wants to sure. participate in a trial? Are they going to, are they, can they walk away a millionaire? Do they walk away with $12.78 per day? How does that work? <laughs> Well, they definitely don't walk away to a millionaire, <laughs> but um, definitely people are are supposed to be fairly compensated for their time um, to participate in a clinical trial. So um, the, the the Apple trial that I mentioned, for instance, mm -hmm. that probably is not going to pay as much because for one thing, sometimes people are getting a free Apple Watch to participate. Um, but if you're going in, I mean, incentives can be anywhere from $50 to $100 a visit, up to $200 of visits. There are some trials where maybe it's a rarer disease and harder to find participants. They will fly you to the study site location, pay for your hotel or gas mileage, all of those types of things. So um, that is, you know, so that you aren't unduly impacted financially by participating in a trial. 
So those types of things are covered. There are incentives for participating. Um, and then I wanted to go back, I, I wanted to go back to address um, why people should participate or what's in it for them. Right. So a different kind of incentive, um, and I meant to mention this earlier, is that sometimes people can use clinical trials as an option for healthcare. So if you are uninsured or underinsured, and say you have just been hit with a new breast cancer diagnosis and you don't know how you're going to cover it, there may be a clinical trial that you can participate in that's going to give you, number one, the health care, because when you get involved in a clinical trial, they... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline give you tests, they follow you, you're followed by, you know, in this case, I talked about um, uh, breast cancer. So you'd be followed by an oncologist, you'd have blood work done, you'd be treated for your disease. um, And that would be on the trial to pay for that if you were participating. So sometimes this can be used as an option for healthcare for people who don't have the coverage they need and they're really struck or blindsided with a serious diagnosis. Wow, I never knew that. That is that's eye opening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wouldn't wish any rare illness on anyone, but if you happen to find yourself in that position, I, I could see the value in that. I mean, man. All right, so yes, as we talk about clinical trials in general, I want to talk about the back end of them. So. When you go through a clinical trial, whether it's, I don't know, how, however long they last, a week, a, a month, 10 years, at the end of that clinical trial. It depends. What, what, is, what is or is there any continued responsibility of care the day the clinical trial ends? If Say, say you're in a, I don't know, call it a gallbladder cancer clinical trial and it ends November 1st, but you're still very much managing through gallbladder cancer is it does does that mean when it's over so is your care like is there any is there any expectation of care post the clinical trial like how does that work that is such a good question um so sometimes in clinical trials there can be what they call long-term follow-up mm-hmm. or open label extensions of the trial and so what that means is that after the trial is over they will continue to care for and follow the people for an extended amount of time. Um, I I shared with you a a story um, when we were prepping for this that I have a relative that was involved in a clinical trial and actually has been part of that trial for 20 years now. Um, And they've continued to care for her. Um, And so this was actually one of those instances where she was able to use that clinical trial for healthcare, and it turned out to be very good for her. Mm. Um, But on the other hand, there are some trials that at the end of the trial, um, they will try to connect you back to a community physician 
um, but trial from the, I'm sorry, care from the clinical trial would end at the end of the clinical mm-hmm. trial. So that is a shortfall that needs to be, um, I guess I would say short up, but I do see many, many, many of these trials that do that longer term follow-up. I get it. So one of the things that we do here, we're nearing the end of our time, is that Art and I both know that we are intelligent brothers, and intelligent brothers know that they don't know everything. So this is the phase where we look at you and we say, as the expert, as the critical person, as the credible person here, who knows the things that the public needs to better understand, who knows the things that black folks need to better understand, is there anything that we did not touch on, anything that you need to share with this community, anything that is burning a hole in your heart or your mind to talk about before we close the doors of the church this evening? <laughs> All right, Pastor. <laughs> uh, um, I, don't, I don't think that there's anything that I feel like we left out. I mean, I guess I would just reinforce, um, you know, I met a young lady who was probably in her maybe late 20s, early 30s. And she was like, you know, because she was really just kind of probably more aware than the average person about clinical trials and actually had participated in one. But she's like, I feel like I want to go out there because of the things that have been done to us in the past and just be sure that I'm counted. And so she was, you know, actively looked for trials that were in line with her particular disease state so that she could make sure her voice was heard. Um, And so that is really just the main thing. Um, We have, like I said, there, it's gone from maybe like five to 7% of people participating, but I do see growth, you know? Um, And everything that we decide to be a part of as Black people, We show up and we show out. So we need more investigators and we're doing things about that. Um, We need more participants that represent us. And I think we are having a change there. Um, And so I would just say, make your voice heard. That is the main thing. Um, There's nothing to be afraid of. There are protections in place. Make your voice heard. I love it. I love it. I love it. Listeners, I want to make sure you you know who we're talking to again. This is Dr. Edelisa Martin. She is the owner and CEO at MNB Sciences Incorporated. You you have heard her passion for making us better and healthier. And, and that means that sometimes we have to build trust in areas where trust has been broken. And I know that takes a leap of faith at times. But what I do encourage you to do is Dig in, learn the history. It's important and it doesn't change. It has relevance, but also learn about what's happening today, right? That's, that's the other part of it. And, and more importantly, you've heard me say so many times on this program that if you are blessed enough to stand in a position where some disease state has not affected you or anyone that you love, just wait. Because one day, that call will come and it will be about you or a child or a parent or a friend. But if you are blessed to not have been through that today, I promise you tomorrow it's coming. It is important that we participate in the places that can have great impact 
on our ability to succeed and thrive and in some cases even live tomorrow. I am not telling you to run in and participate in every clinical trial that you see, but I am asking you to do your due diligence and understand if your level of comfort is high enough to be part of what we expect to be the solution. I'm asking you to build enough faith and enough information and enough access to overcome maybe some of the things that we've been through in the past and see if this is the right fit for you. It is not going to be for everyone, but it doesn't take everyone to create the impact that we all will need tomorrow. With that, Adelisa, do you have anything else that you want to add before we shut down Wild Black for this amazing episode? No, it's just been a joy. It's been a blast. I've really enjoyed talking with you both um, and appreciate the opportunity to share this information. Absolutely. Art, brother, you got anything, man? Listen, another dope episode with another set of amazing facts and data points that we can become stronger uh, and better together as a community. And, and I just love the fact of the nuggets that you shared, everyone should be able to take at least one or two things away and and know that they've become smarter because of it. So thank you for that time, your energy and your efforts and all the work that you are doing in this space. Yeah. Dr. Adelisa, please tell the people how they can catch up with you, engage with you, follow you, support you, and then we are out. Well, thank you. Um, of course, I am on LinkedIn, Adelisa Martin. Um, you can find my company, MNB Sciences, on Instagram and Facebook. Um, so just by searching for MNB Sciences, we come right up to the top. I love it. I love it. I'm about to follow you in all those places now. With that, Wild Black, peace. We out. We love you. Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.